The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit trying to chlorinate the gene pool and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 233 with guest Brad Abrams, recorded live Tuesday, April 24th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bring the just-in-time team system class with Joel Semeniuk on-site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support for .NET Rocks is provided by Telerec, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who thinks Silverlight is much more than a flash in the wind, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's a new week here. This is the week of Mix 07. Hey, Richard. Hey, we're not at Mix. We're not. That's okay. A bunch of people were surprised and shocked that we weren't there, but, you know, work comes first. I actually got a voicemail from Michelle LaRue Bustamante saying, hey, are you guys at Mix? Yeah, let's have a drink. (laughs) So I had a drink anyway. (laughs) Oh, well, good. There you go. Hope you're all having a great week. We're just getting underway here. And uh, Richard, do you have any uh, emails to share? I do indeed have an email. Well, okay. And this one says, hey, Carl and Richard. Keep pushing out the awesome DNR, DNR TV, Hansel Minutes, and Run As Radio shows. I love them. Boy, that list is getting long. It is getting long. Every week, you two cover untold miles of .NET wisdom and bring the .NET community closer together. Mm -hmm. For me, DNR was an inspiration to get into the field. At the outset of grade 12, I started to listen to .NET Rocks after listening to Mondays. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. He came from Mondays. We're sorry. (laughs) After a while, I began to understand just what the hell you guys were talking about. It really fueled me to dive into this field and to think I swore I would never write code. Now I can't quench my thirst for doing it. Wow. Enough ass kissing for now, though. As a Canadian, wow, all that swearing and he's a Canadian. <laughs> you you guys are so reserved, so, so refined. As a Canadian, I always wonder about what's going on .NET related up here. Ever thought about doing a Canadian road trip? 
Hmm. Yes, I know the Prairie Provinces would not likely hold a lot of technical content, but you never know. Doing a gig at the University of Waterloo or any of the Canadian universities would be awesome. I think a fresh Canadian perspective on the show would be quite interesting in my opinion, but that's not to say that Richard isn't enough of an influence. Just my two cents, I'm still fairly new to this .NET thing, so take it with a grain of salt and keep up the awesome work. Elias Perinen. I'm trying to I'm trying to think about what we could do in the prairie states. Maybe if we wrote a little VB program that measured the uh, consistency of maple syrup as it boils. <laughs> maple syrup's a northeast thing or an eastern thing anyway. Yeah. But you figure we got John Bristow in Calgary, and then there's uh, Joel Semeniak in Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean that's that's either side of the prairies. We're yep. pretty close there, and you know the distance between those two is not as far as we drove from Austin till. Uh, uh, where the hell did we go? Oh, we went all over the place. That, but that was another show. It seemed like another <laughs> lifetime. It was a long time ago. So did a Canadian you- road trip. That sounds interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe more like a plane trip would be better for us. Well, and these I, days. you know, he points out this idea of doing a Canadian university, and you talk about uh, UBC out here on the west coast, yeah. or University of Waterloo, McGill. There's some great Canadian universities. It's a possibility. Is there .NET activity going on up there? That's what they tell me. And if they're listening, give us a ring. Send us an email. Yeah, let us know uh, what's going on in the world because, you know, we don't have all the answers all the time. So uh, I got an email here from Dave G, uh, Dave Gibbons, Dave G, and he says, Hi, Carl and Richard. Prologue. Ooh. Colon. I'm having a bit of trouble with data sets with Visual Studio 2005, as I have come from VB6, where data binding was to be avoided at all costs, and so I have been avoiding it in Visual Studio 2005 as well. Anyway, I can't see the point in data sets, but with the power of 230 DNR episodes at my fingertips, I thought I would try. At the moment, I'm using the DAAB from the Enterprise Library and basically doing everything with data tables. I have no idea if this is clever or stupid, and I'm dreading the day that I have to hand over my code to a new programmer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the reason for the email is that I just listened to show 54 with Carl Prothman and really enjoyed it. I'm just curious because I really didn't start listening to the show until the 180s or so, so I was not aware of the beginnings. 120 minutes! And actually, the shows were only 120 minutes from 50 to 90, something like that. Right. Yeah, before 50, they were they were an hour just like they are now. 120 minutes. I thought that it would be too much, but it flew past. Great content and a 25 license Windows Server 2003. Wow. What he's referring to there is we used to give away swag when we had uh, live listeners. And uh, it was uh, Windows Server 2003 boxes were the right. item of the day. Also, how cool was Rory's music? And you also gave away a .NET Rocks clock. I love it. The thing that most interested me, though, is that you went from a live show to a podcast. The live show aspect with people calling in and stuff like that seemed cool. Was it too expensive to produce? What happened there? And then he basically says, you know, this is great stuff and keep it up and uh, and all that stuff. But let me answer your question, you know, what, what the story is there. Basically, when we did the live shows and of course we recorded them and you know put them we podcasted those as well but when they were live we never got more than a hundred listeners at any one time and i don't think it was because the limitations of our bandwidth or whatever it was well that was an issue 
it was an issue, but it seems like no matter when we schedule it, I mean, this is an international show, right? So no matter when we schedule it, there's going to be most of the people in the world that listen to the show aren't going to be able to make it. So uh, it just posed a kind of a problem. I mean, it's that whole time thing, you know? Yeah, it's funny that way. On the other hand, these days where we're recording several shows together, it might be worth it to try again, wouldn't you think? I think so, maybe. We we usually record on Tuesdays, and we record three or four shows on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, let us know what you think. Tuesday would be a kind of a thing where you could just put on a stream, you know, like a an audio stream and, and, and jump into a chat room and you could, uh, you know, the reason that we like the live show is because we get great questions from people in the audience. And I don't know about a call-in thing. That means we'd have to have somebody on the phones and managing all that. But I think uh, just, you know, having people in the chat room so that they can ask questions, um, you know, that, that always worked out really, really well. Yeah. And typically we're recording from about nine in the morning Pacific time until three o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time. So I don't know how many people that works for, but fire us an email. If you want that live show feel back, we'd be interested in hearing from you. We could certainly do it. But as I said, we, we stopped it because, you know, uh, we weren't getting the, the, you know, the crowd. The crowd was, and it even started big and then dwindled after that. I don't know why that is. Also, you know, I want to go back to what Elias said that he heard us through Mondays. Mondays is a show, it's a comedy show that we do with Mark Miller and Richard and I and uh, Karen Greenwald, who's not a geek, but she's just a, a girl. And she's very funny. Very, very funny. She's a professional comedian. And uh, we don't do it every week anymore, but when we do it, it's usually hilarious. And and after about show 17 or so, we got into a really good groove, and we have a format down that really works. So if you haven't listened to Mondays in a while, you might want to check that out. It's at mondays.pwop.com. And be aware, it should be listened on headphones. Uh, no children around. This is an adult show. Definitely not in the company of children. You know, I also noticed in Dave's email, he asked about code camps in Australia. Yeah, boy, that'd be a great idea. I wonder if there are any code camps in Australia. I've if never heard are, of a code camp in Australia, to tell you the truth. Yeah, they should. Uh, if you've got a code camp going on in Australia, let us know. We will talk about it on the show. I guarantee it. Or anywhere else in the world. You know, we've we've actually started a- announcing code camps. So just you got a code camp, or you know of one that we're not announcing, send it to us. Let us know. And speaking of code camps, coming up this weekend. That's May fifth. The Austin Code Camp at shrinkster.com slash O9E. And also on that same day, May 5th, the Ann Arbor Day of .net, which you can read about at shrinkster.com slash C-U-K. On May 19th, the West Michigan Day of .net at shrinkster.com slash N-I-H. And on that same day, the Philly.net Code Camp, May 19th, shrinkster.com slash O-I-7. And finally, June 23rd, the Rally Code Camp at 017. All right. And also, we want to mention that uh, Greg Brill is still hiring in New York City. He's getting a, a staff of .NET Rocks geeks together down there to go and kick some butt, live rent-free in an apartment in New York City for a year, and uh, get a New York City salary on top of that. If you're interested, go to shrinkster.com slash kh6. And there's also a gig in Washington, D.C. for ASP.net gurus that we know about. Uh, shrinkster.com slash mmj. Couple of conferences. DevTeach, Montreal, Quebec, 
May 14th to 18th. That's right. And I'll be there. Richard will be there. We'll be doing .NET Rocks. We're going to be doing the ORM Smackdown panel. Also, uh, we're going to be doing some sessions. I'm going to do a session on RSS and podcasting. Richard, you doing a session too? Yes, I'm doing my world-famous SQL Server querying session. Awesome. And then there's uh, TechEd. TechEd. Oh, yeah. Orlando, June 4th to 8th. And it's not sold out yet, somehow, but it will be any minute now. I can't believe it's not sold out. Yeah, it's only a month ahead of time. All right, well, you better hurry up because time's running out. All right, Richard, it's time to introduce Brad. Brad Abrams was a founding member of both the Common Language Runtime and the .NET Framework teams at Microsoft, where he's currently the Group Program Manager for the UI Framework and Services team, which is responsible for delivering the developer platform that spans both clients and web-based applications, as well as the common services that are available to all applications. And yes, that was one sentence. (laughs) Specific technologies owned by this team include ASP.NET, Atlas, and Windows Forms. Brad has been designing parts of the .NET framework since 1998, when he started his framework design career building the BCL base class library that ships as part of the core .NET framework. Brad was also the lead editor on the Common Language Specification, or CLS, the .NET Framework Design Guidelines, and the libraries in the ECMA ISO CLI standard. Brad has been deeply involved with the WinFX and Windows Vista efforts from their beginning. He also co-authored Programming in the .NET Environment and was editor on .NET Framework Standard Library Annotated Reference Volumes 1 and 2 and the Framework Design Guidelines. Welcome, Brad. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. You are the man when it comes to the framework. Yeah, I've been doing that for a little while, so it's a lot of fun. Let me tell you that annotated reference is awesome. Yeah, you, you like that? Is it the annotations you like? Or? Uh, yeah, um, just the comments and the annotations. Um, it really just makes a difference. It's not your average reference material. Yeah, we, you know, we tried to come up with a way to not make it so dry and get across the, the color because we had hours and hours of debate internally about uh, many of those guidelines and design of the framework. And uh, we yeah. wanted to kind of give uh, people a sense of that but then spare them from the hours of meetings. Yeah, so it's like a, reading the comments in the source code almost. Yeah. Yeah, without actually reading all of the arguments in the source code. <laughs> right. Good stuff. So this is uh, an important week for you. You're at Mix this week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're super pumped about Mix. It's, uh, it's a, it, it, you know, it's been a, it was a big event for our team last year. That's when uh, we, we kind of really had the, the big show around um, ASP.NET Ajax, or what we called Atlas at the time. Um, and then uh, at the show this year, uh, I think the big news is all about Silverlight. Yeah, Silverlight, the last-minute renaming of WPFE. Yeah. Well, you know, it was. We knew the WPFE name. I guess see how. What's the right way to say it? Uh, the name. I think it sucked. Is <laughs> yeah. kind of technical term. And we knew that. And it it was. You know, since uh, kind of the last PDC where we announced it, we we knew it wasn't going to be the final name. Um, so. Well, it, it wasn't a good name because it really wasn't actually WPF, was it? Right. Well, the problem is it wasn't. Uh, really about Windows, since it, it works on the Mac. Uh, right. It wasn't really about presentation, since it has presentation and other technology in it. Mm. And it really wasn't, you know, so much uh, a foundation either. So, you know, basically it wasn't any of those things. <laughs> um, so that's probably why it, it 
WPFE wasn't a good name, but but I, I really like Silverlight. I think Silverlight's a good a, a, a good name for us. Kind of like Silver Springs, Maryland. No silver, no springs. Discuss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but people say, you know, about Silverlight, people, uh, customers uh, often ask Silverlight, oh, that's, a cool, that's the coolest code name I've heard. And I don't think people have internalized that we are calling the product Silverlight. Well, I'm, gl- I'm finally glad. I hope this is the beginning of a trend because, uh, you know, these really, really long names just aren't doing anybody any good. Well, and it's yeah, an interesting reversal. We took a nice, tight, good-looking name like Avalon and made it WPFE, in, uh, or WPF, and now you've made WPFE into Silverlight. So, yeah, I think you're going the right way That's now. the right way. Yeah, yeah. So we've decided to give really crappy code names and then uh, give really <laughs> sexy names. Really so, yeah, long, uh, detailed cra- code names. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the, that's the plan. <laughs> Microsoft Windows something. Everything has to be Microsoft Windows. So, uh, is it true that it's, you know, mostly for like legal and trademark reasons that you guys felt you had to make up those long names? Well, you know, there's a lot of, um, kind of brand thinking that, that goes into it. And there certainly are, uh, legal trademark kind of issues. Uh, but there's also how do we, uh, associate the technologies uh, in a way, in ways developers can associate with our broader platform, yeah, um, and customers more more generally than developers. Um, so that that led us down the kind of Windows Presentation Foundation, Windows Communication Foundation route. Yeah, uh, but you know the 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 thing you know early on with the Silverlight project, we we realized that this is going to have to be almost a consumer brand, right? right. B- because at some point, your mom's going to hit a web page. And and she's going to have to, there's going to be a prompt that comes up, you know, this web page requires Microsoft Silverlight, do you want to accept it? And and we think a, a name like Silverlight is going to be a little more approachable for a general consumer audience. I see. So you're not, you're not making a name for developers, you're really making a name for a consumer, well, kind of, you know, something like, oh, I don't know, uh, Flash, maybe, something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I've heard something about that product. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we there's, to... you know, you... Microsoft's classic for sitting around looking at things that rise to the top, figuring out, you know, what's good about them, what's not so good about them, and then improving on it and coming out with like a uh, a new and improved version of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly some looking at competitors, but I think what drives me personally and 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 other folks on the team is just listening to what our customers are asking for. Right. Uh, this, this last year, I've spent a bunch of time with our ASP.NET customer base, um, and, they, and, and, and especially with the ASP Ajax, the Atlas project we have. And then they're pushing the limits of what you can do with Ajax. Right. Uh, and they're, they're asking us about, well, what, you know, what do I do if I want to do media? How do I do vector graphics? Right. Uh, how do I push audio? Uh, what, you know, I'd really like to be able to write in a language other than JavaScript on the client. What, you know, and so we're kind of internalizing that feedback and thinking about what, what can we do to help make developers even more successful on our platform. So we've talked on the show about WPFE, now Silverlight, in terms of, you know, design and, you know, sort of the uh, expression suite and, yeah. and coming at it from that point of view. Let's talk about it from a framework point of view. What uh, what exactly is this goo down in there? I mean, I get the feeling that there's just about everything. There's JavaScript. There's some managed code. I've heard it's managed. It's unmanaged. 
Now, Scott Hanselman was picking it apart, looking at um, all the code that looked like an unmanaged stack. But I've heard that it's managed as well. What What is it? Yeah, so let's, let's tear it apart and look at that. So um, we're uh, releasing um, a, a couple of things that, uh, here, here at Mix. Um, one of them is uh, a release of Silverlight 1.0, a pre-release of Silverlight 1.0, which is a... We've, what we've done essentially is taking the rendering engine from uh, WPF. So if you're really a WPF geek, we've taken what we call the mill or the media integration layer, uh, and we've significantly enhanced and, and worked it um, so that it works on the Mac, uh, and that's a piece of unmanaged code that does vector graphics. Uh, there's a full um, WMV, WMA, MP3 stack to do decoding of that so you hmm. can play video and audio uh, and vector graphics. And it, it, the actual XAML parser, so the, the player consumes XAML, uh, that parser is, it, an interpreter is, is written in unmanaged code. Um, and that's a uh, kind of uh, performance um, thing for working across uh, all the cross-platform. Okay. Um, and it helps to make the download size as small as possible for that kind of initial hit. Uh, and we're, we're targeting somewhere in the a little over one meg range for, for that piece. So you can get, you, what we're anticipating people doing there is, uh, video on a web page, uh, coding against that in JavaScript or coding against it on the server. Um, the other thing we have, we could talk about a little bit for that, uh, Silverlight 1.0 piece is we have, we've actually made some extensions to ASP.NET, which I think are, are really powerful. So an ASP.NET developer can now drag and drop an ASP media control on the page and do server-side programming logic against a playlist, against a wow. media element. Um, and it's trivial. So, you know, we have a lot of ASP.NET developers that, you know, they're not super wanting to write a ton and ton of JavaScript code. I mean, they can do a little bit, but they'd really like to program on the server, do data binding on the server. Yeah. and um, validation there, and so we have an ASP media control for that, and it it uh, um, kind of brings down Silverlight if it's needed on the client. Um, so that's the 1.0 stuff, and then we're also coming out with Silverlight 1.1, uh, kind of a preview developer release of Silverlight 1.1, um, and that's where, in addition to everything we just talked about, all that stuff applies. In addition, we have um, a scaled-down version of the .NET framework or a smaller version of the .NET framework that's really focused at the web scenarios. Uh, and that's in the 3 meg range. Uh, and, and it is intended for people to build these rich Internet applications where you're building much more logic on the, on the client side and building rich, immersive applications that include both the uh, vector graphics, immersive experience, that you can get with um, the 1.0 stuff, but as well as complicated logic that you're actually writing on the client. Now, this is also part of Silverlight. This isn't something. Is this an additional? Is this like an optional thing? Or no, I think I think the easiest way to think about it. And things are moving a mile a minute here. The easiest way to think about it is there's version 1.0 of Silverlight, and we're gonna ship that thing. Um, this year, in, ju- in fact, just the next couple of months. This is the uh, unmanaged only one megabyte. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the one I think. And then we're going to do a fast follow of that with kind of towards the end of this year with the 1.1 stuff. And that will add to it 
the um, the, un- the managed code. The managed stuff. Now, yep. when you say this is managed code, that requires some sort of framework, some sort of .NET runtime. Is this yep. going to be supported on multiple platforms? Yeah, yeah. So, so what we've done is we've taken the um, the CLR. If you're kind of a, a, a CLR geek, we've taken the CLR out, out of .NET Framework 2.0. Uh, and so it supports generics and all the kind of rich um, support we got out of there. And we've we've scaled it down a bit. We've scaled down the, the frameworks. Um, we've ported it to work on the Mac, and we'll support it there. Uh, wow. And, and then we've taken part of the .NET framework. And, and essentially what we did with the .NET framework, you know, today .NET Framework 3.0 is 50 meg range, uh, and we budgeted maybe a meg. So, like, okay, how do we take 50 meg and put it into a meg? Uh, we did a, a long series of scenario exercises. Okay, say I was going to build an app like an e-commerce uh, right. app or an app to do stock trading or, a, or an app to do uh, kind of computer-based training. What would that app need to do? Okay, well, it would need this part of the data stack. It would need that part of the networking stack. And we, and we went through 10, 15 of those types of scenarios. And out of it bubbled this core essence of the framework. Like, what is the kind of some fundamental pieces that have to be there for these web-based apps? And and we feel like, I mean, what we're what we're shipping at Mix is, is kind of just the beginning of that. But we feel like it's a pretty decent thing. Now, when you say it's a pretty decent thing, does that mean that maybe someday we'll find a full framework on the Mac? Well, I, well, where we're or going as full for, as we can this, get. Yeah, this this is a this is a fun uh, game I, I played with one of the one of the um, RDs at a recent meeting. He, you know, he just was uh, amazed that we had gotten it. Damn, I think this small. might be Tim Huckabee, maybe. It might have been. It might have been. And so we, <laughs> the, 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 ga- the game we played was about um, he uh, he would ask, okay, so I'm, I, I need X to build this kind of web app. Do you have that? And then I would say yes. He's like, okay, well, oh man, I need uh, network access. Yeah. Do you have? You know, yeah. Okay. No, I'm going to need sockets level. Okay. Yeah. Yes, we've got that. Yes. <laughs> you know, so we played this game for like ten minutes, and then he goes, "Okay, you're going to have enough." You know. So. Yeah. Um, so I, it's not the entire framework. It's, it's not the entire framework, but it is a large percentage of what you need to build these uh, kind of rich internet applications. You are, and you're really talking about the client side pieces of the framework that That's you're going right. to need. That's right. So never in the conversation did he say, well, you know, I'm really going to need to serve web pages from the... Uh, you yeah, know, okay. right. Exactly. We don't have ASP.NET there, right? Right. Um, but what about a basic forms engine? What about, like, when, is this uh, contained within a web browser experience, or is there going to be also some sort of framework running outside the browser? Yeah, so so um, Silverlight is focused on the in-browser scenarios. That's where we, we really feel like um, customers are asking for a solution there a lot, uh, and and there we will have uh, uh, we're, the WPF team is working on a version of WPF that that runs as part of Silverlight. So if you if you are familiar with the WPF programming model and how that works and and the kind of set of classes and uh, and properties and events that you have there, then you, you'll be able to move those forward. Okay. Now what we're what we're releasing at at, at Mix we have. The starter, we don't have the full control set sure. there, um, but we have the starter of that at, at Mix, and then throughout the rest of this year, we're just going to be adding more and more of those controls. 
You know, when comparisons of web development components come into play, vendors start tossing in cliches like complete tool set of controls, superior performance, empowering users, and hosts of other buzzwords. But at the end of the day, what matters most to you, the developer? For our friends at Telerik, the answer boils down to simply getting your job done, like saving precious time by customizing stubborn controls at design time or skinning new applications in no time. And how about no browser compatibility issues? That's a big one. Take the Telerik Ajax offering, for example. The product was designed to quickly get you up and running with this new yet complex technology, and it just works. Forget about writing tricky JavaScript. Forget about making end-to-end modifications to your application. What's best is that you can count on a wide range of resources, sample apps, tutorials, active forums, and, of course, Telerik's renowned support team. After all, there is a reason why 89% of Telerik's customers choose to renew their subscriptions. Experience that for yourself by testing a trial version of the most reliable UI suite for ASP.NET at www.telerik.com. T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot com. Wonderful. So I, what I'm hearing is uh, leaving Windows Forms behind, not trying to implement that on multiple platforms. The future is clearly WPF and XAML and all of that. And someday you're hoping to have full standalone WPF apps with the framework running on a Mac. Yeah, so you might be going a little bit further um, than what, what I would say right now. Well, I is, said you hope to maybe someday. You know, we're we feel like t- today the kinds of apps that people write that that run out of the browser um, they want to integrate deeply with the operating system, and I don't mean sprinkle desktop icons somewhere. Sure. I mean they want to integrate with search, and they want to put their stuff in the sidebar. Yeah. They want to plug into Office, and those are things that, while it, it, they're super difficult to do in a consistent way across platform, because there's different things sure. there. Sure. Right. So we on the on the out of browser scenario maybe we can come up have a we can have a different show in in a uh maybe right after tech ed um but we're working on some <laughs> okay. maybe some other stuff um that for the kind of t- to help make sure that people that are building both winforms apps and wpf apps that are really leveraging the power of the of the platform the I think what I maybe I'm just trying to find a sort of a common ground here that maybe you you know you think this is a good thing you'd like to move towards that goal towards that direction. There, do you see any reason why that uh, couldn't happen someday? You know, I, I not being Nostradamus, I can't tell you what's gonna <laughs> <laughs> what's gonna happen or not happen in the future. Sure. Um, I you know, the, I guess here's here's what I can tell you with with certainty. We're gonna we're gonna focus in on what customers need to build and what are they demanding. What 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 are the solutions they're trying to build and and how can we go make them amazingly super successful? Wow. Well, that's uh, great. And, and so right now we feel like what they're asking for is this kind of um, in-browser experience that works everywhere, that's consistent, whether you're on a Mac or Windows and Firefox or Safari, yeah. that the, same, the exact same binaries they write um, kind of run everywhere and render the same everywhere. Um, and then we're, we're also hearing people saying, and, I, and if my client is XP or Vista, then I want to take advantage of 
of some additional capabilities, though, as the sure. OSs have, because together they're such a large percentage of the uh, of the population base hitting most sites. The other question I have is, um, you know, there's one platform that we're not talking about here, which, um, you know, a moment's thought will sort of answer the question about how difficult it would be, but and that's Linux, right? Yeah. Yep. So Linux comes up a Linux comes up a lot. I, I had a had a had a good fun time at um, Ajax World. I demoed um, ASP Ajax uh, being served from from Linux um, and and running on Linux. Wow. Cool. Uh, on, a, on a Ubuntu um, VPC. So that was that was fun. And then de- demoed Silverlight uh, on the Mac. Um, and so <laughs> we're again. I guess I'd come back to what what are customers demanding? Our, sure. What, what we hear customers telling us. Is that from a server side environment that we have to support Linux? That yeah. it is. I mean, this. It, you know, I work on the ASP.NET team, but I recognize that we don't have a hundred percent penetration of of Windows Server and ASP.NET and server environments. The, the reality is that uh, we're going to have to make sure Silverlight content can be served from uh, uh, Linux servers, and so we're we're definitely working on that. Um, and then from the client perspective. We're we're looking for feedback. We're we I um, we're working with the kind of leading websites. Uh, they're giving us some information about the the kind of server logs for their websites. We're looking at our own server logs as well, and we're trying to figure out kind of where the ninety eight percent mark looks like, and what do we have to do to support that? Are devices important? Are you know is this version of OSX important? Is that version of Windows important? And we're trying to figure out kind of where that goes. And this, you're not just integrating at the browser level with this. You you're going to need to operate within the UI environment as a whole. And for Linux, that can be very challenging. Yes. No, so I get at the high level. I'd say you know we're we're we'll, we'll go where customers demand, but th- right. there are obviously some issues. The de- obviously, the demand for client side WPF or anything WPFE on Linux isn't there. Right. Yeah, the Mac is a different thing. Yeah, for the Mac, we are seeing it. And the, the other thing that's interesting with the Mac is uh, I've had several people say. You know, I've I've asked them about their you know their hit logs on their server, and like, yeah, you know, Mac is not that huge a percentage, but my CEO runs a Mac, or or you know, the creative director in our company runs a Mac, and so some key people. So even if it's not representative, some key people uh, kind of are motivating that. Well, and that adds significant impact to the whole thing, really. Right. Right. Doesn't take a lot of people; just the right people to change that up. Yeah. So, and yeah. just, I just want to, I mean, I, I, we sort of glossed over it a little bit, but just to reiterate, the outside the browser scenario for, uh, Silverlight, um, on the Mac is exactly what? Like so, the ro- roadmap wise. So for, for, so Silverlight's focused on the in browser. And then out of browser, we have the .NET framework. And I think we have, uh, uh the full .NET framework. And I think the, like .NET Framework 3.0, and then coming out with Orcus .NET Framework 3.5, and it works. It, it's a uh, very competitive platform. It's a very, it's very uh, kind of feature rich, and allows people to do things that they want to do outside the browser. And of course, .NET Framework 3.5 runs on Windows. So we're we now talking about I can use Studio, build an application, a client side application, and deploy it on the Mac. Yes. 
it, so that, that so this is one of the demos we do um that I, it will be really the uh, one thing I love about Mix is all the um content is is going to be put on the web within days of the show here right. so um but but definitely what you can take Visual Studio Orcus beta 1 that we uh, just shipped a, a few days ago um and there's a special project that you use but uh you can um kind of build your project use cider use expression use all the tools that you know and love to as a developer now there's a subset of what you can do, so you have to kind of restrict yourself to to what's available, to the classes that are available, or the subset of XAML that's available. Um, but you can build that on Windows, and you can deploy it to uh, the Mac and test it out. You can eat. Though my favorite demo is you can go and attach to the process, the Safari process. We usually use. Um, uh, virtual PC uh, kind of environment uh, on the Mac called uh, Parallel, but you can right. a- a- attach to the the Safari on another machine, and then you can step in and start debugging it, and you you get the full debugging experience. You can go in and change wow. variables, do locals, um, and it changes over on the Mac. You think we'll ever see a version of Visual Studio for the Mac? You know, I think it comes back down to the. To the demand thing, you right. know, where where customers, um, uh, what are customers telling us uh, about that? I, I will say it's a huge, enormous code base. So, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I know, and there's also stuff built in there so that's specific to Windows. But I'm also thinking that the you know the uh, who is the audience for that? I mean, are there going to be is there going to be like a bunch of Mac developers that are now all of a sudden going to be interested in .NET? Or is it going to be people who are .NET developers that are now going to go out and buy Macs? Well, or what, both? What, what I think is going to, yeah, both. What I think is going to be our, our main audience is um, people that are, that are building web apps today. So PHP, ASP.NET developers um, that, that need to deliver some differentiated experience, and they need that to work everywhere. So... Um, say you're Amazon.com or Salesforce.com or eBay, um, and you need to create uh, a ri- that cu- your customers demand a richer experience from you, a- and you can't restrict that to just the Windows audience. Yeah. Then, then, then that means you'll need to be able to to, to develop the application. You may use Windows as your primary development and testing environment, but then you'll want to make sure that that renders great on Safari as well. But the norm up until this point has been the browser-based deployment to go cross-platform. It sounds like in the future, we're not going to have to use the browser for that. Yeah, and I think that's the real scoop here, and this must be the thing that, uh, you know, the big secret is that uh, the out of browser thing? I mean, that's that's much much different. That's that's a big deal. Well, let me let me make sure. Let me try to make sure it's clear. So, Silverlight contains a scaled down version of the .NET framework. Okay. It runs everywhere. Yeah. It runs on Windows. Runs on the Mac. And then and 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 it, and it runs. Our primary scenario for that is in browser. Right. And for out of browser, we have what I'm calling the full .NET framework. .NET framework 3.0, and then with Orcus 3.5, it runs. Uh, on Windows, and that's our that's for kind of out of browser apps. Oh, uh, see, I'm I'm trying to talk about out of browser on the Mac. Yeah, I understand you are. <laughs> uh, I guess you're just trying not to say it or something. Yeah, uh, I, and again, I think it's it's just that we're um, 
that's like I said, it's not it's not where we're seeing the the kind of consistent customer demand come from. Yeah, okay. well, what what we're seeing is that on uh, on the Mac, people want to build Cocoa apps. They want to build apps that integrate deeply, that look like native, feel like native uh, Mac applications. They integrate with Spotlight, integrate with all the great uh, OS X stuff. And but, on Windows, they yeah. want to integrate with all the great Windows stuff. But so you got to admit, I mean, a, a nice WPF XAML looking, you know, Vista graphic looking app that communicates with web services and does data binding and all that stuff would be very cool. It would be yeah, very well, cool. Yeah, one thing I think we're going to see is uh, raising of the barrier in terms of what you can do in browser. And I think that, I mean, I think we're already seeing full word processors in browser just with Ajax. Imagine what kind of apps we're going to see when you have a version of the .NET framework that runs in browser and runs everywhere with the power of WPF. Right. right? I think what we're going to see is richer applications like that. Okay. We're definitely taking browser apps to a whole new level with this. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like a stair step. You know, we did ASP.NET, um, and that, that I think, brought, you know, dynamic um, programming. That, that brought server apps or kind of web-based apps up to another level of complexity. Um, and then in, in terms of the kind of features that you can deliver. And then the next level up, we did Ajax, and, wow, there's a whole other set of stuff that you can now go do. Um, and and then with Silverlight, we take it to the next level up, and there's even more functionality, even more richness that you can go do. I, I don't know what the next step for <laughs> the in-browser is going to be. I, I don't know how much more rich we can get than Silverlight. but The ASP.NET component really brought in the idea of uh, the ability to communicate with the database really effectively, to go to these services and pull multiple servers together into the coordination around a transaction, I mean, those kinds of things. Ajax gave us that client interaction so that we could do piece-by-piece -piece communication uh, at the browser level. Now, WPFE, uh, well, Silverlight, really brings us to how are we going to render this? Yep, yep. And how can you write more complex code on the client? Uh, I mean, one thing I, I hear from people is they, they love VB.net, right? Or they love C Sharp, and, and they get to write that for ASP.net, but then when they go write their AJAX code, their client-side JavaScript code, they, 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 they feel a little constrained or a little unfamiliar with JavaScript. Um, and what they would like to be able to do is write VB.net code there, on the client, interacting with the HTML browser DOM as well as the as the um, Silverlight um, DOM, uh, and so what we've what we've enabled is essentially you get to write VB.NET code, you get to write C sharp code that runs on the client. Right. Um, I think that's going to be really powerful for people. So, Brad, the client tools around building these, I'm thinking in terms of I'm building a WPF app on the Windows environment with expression. Is there going to be some feature for me to be able to export that that runs to Silverlight that I then can take to the web on both platforms? Yeah, I think that is going to be a key, key scenario where somebody either builds a full uh, desktop app with expression or visual studio and then wants to do a tear off that 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 works everywhere or vice versa they they write the everywhere thing and then they want to write some incremental features that work better on windows 
And so we've worked on that workflow uh, a good bit. And at Mix, we have the start of the workflow uh, with some extensions to uh, Expression and Visual Studio that help make that possible. And then over the next uh, next few months or year, we'll, we will be releasing technologies in an RTM form that make that uh, kind of super, super easy. But, but kind of naively think about it like there's now like a project called a Silverlight project that you right, can target. Right. And I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking about in terms of being able to take the work I've done in one place and be able to move it to the other place without a whole lot of pain. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, so for example, we... It, it, We've taken lots and, and like a lot of our Silverlight demos are we take the XAML from existing WPF demos and just kind of make minor tweaks to them to make them be able to work in Silverlight. And the de- XAML structure is very interesting to me because that makes sense to me as a declarative structure that I can move from platform to platform fairly painlessly. But you're talking about using .NET languages, C Sharp and VB.NET at the browser level. How does that hang together with the the uh, whole part of the XAML, this declarative stuff? Yeah, well, it, I mean, the, the, there's the same relationship between uh, the XAML and the managed code as as exists in the in the desktop. So you can do event handlers and set up callbacks um, from your XAML code. So when you click on this button, call you know, call this callback, or when this page loads, call that method. And with Silverlight, you could write that method in browser-specific JavaScript, or you could write that method in C Sharp and VB.NET and and uh, kind of push down a, a, a DLL with IL and metadata in it. That's it, does that it, make sense? Absolutely, that makes sense to me. Now I'm starting to think, uh, how am I going to use this to write viruses? Yeah, well, that's an excellent thing. We spend a lot of time thinking about how you cannot do that. Um, by and large, our thinking on that is we we restrict you to the browser sandbox. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is, what's my sandbox for this? Right. There's a fairly well-understood definition of what it means to be an app running in the browser. Um, and and we want to honor that as much as we can. So, um, so that is things like I can't access any random location on the hard drive. Right. Or, you know, I can't do arbitrary uh, network calls anywhere, you know, get at your corporate Internet or whatever. Um, so we respect those uh, browser settings in that, in that browser environment. Although, you know, when you were talking to, and I'm still guessing it's Tim Huckabee, but when you were talking to that RD, he was talking about fairly significant abilities to communicate over the network from this library. So that's the base level thing. Everything that, all the security that the browser has, we have the exact same thing. Right. So you may be able to get a hold of uh, a network stack, but you're not going to be able to communicate into the internal network. It's just not going to allow that. that. That's right. Now... What we did do is, you know, I spent a lot of time with Ajax developers, and what are the common pain points Ajax developers have? And is there a safe way that meets the spirit of the sandbox, but but might technically be a little more than what you can do with with the browser sandbox? So, for example, on the networking side, a thing that we're kind of closely tracking that we're working on is how can we enable you to call from the client side to another server other than the originating server. Right, which is exactly the sort of thing I'd be thinking about doing. I want to do an Ajax call over there. Exactly. Now, we got to do that in a way that's safe. That that means that that server uh, allows those kinds of requests and that prevents 
things like uh, if you go to evil.com and download some code, it doesn't connect to your internal uh, HR site and then push that data back to evil.com. But um, we're working through all the all the very security um, concerns. Our, our primary concern is, is being secure, but we, we believe we have some mechanisms that will allow you to call back to, say, Flickr, for example, and or Amazon.com and, and retrieve some data from those services without having to go back up and through the, the originating server. Yeah, that seems kind of silly that you'd have to call the originating server and say, go fetch this stuff from Flickr and pull it back down for right. it. Right. So to be, we're, we're looking at these mashup opportunities then uh, right. at the browser level. The, the other one that I think is really interesting is I look at the number of ActiveX controls that I have on my site that all they do is file upload, you know, yeah. for, for, for various, um, you know, uh, video sharing or photo sharing kind of sites. And I think it speaks to there is some limitation in the browsers today. And, and one of the, one of the things that we're working on is, being able to um, pop a file open dialog. So if you're familiar with WinForms or WPF today, you can get a safe file dialog that lets the user choose a location on their directory, uh, their My Documents, and select right. the file. And then if the user selects it, then you can get a stream to it and do some processing on that on the client without having to upload the whole thing to the server first. I see. You see what I'm saying? So what that allows is scenarios like, could you do video editing on the client without uploading it? So you, the user points to a video or to a photo. You can do touch-ups or do mm-hmm. some kind of a basic level of editing of that content on the client side, maybe even do some transcoding of it, and then send that up to the server. Hmm. Interesting possibilities. Yeah. You know, one of the things that interests me around Silverlight has also been gen- the general management of video feeds and things like that, getting past the codec issues we've got right now. Yes. Yeah, you know, we've talked to lots of people, and they are super excited about the possibility of using WMV. Uh, WMV is based on a kind of ISO standard format. There's tons and tons of equipment um, that's that's out there today that really deeply understands WMV, uh, both from a ton from third parties as well as from Microsoft. So having a player that natively supports that format, that you don't have to do some transcoding to a proprietary format before it goes out, uh, I think is very compelling. But it's still very much focused on a base common format. I'm thinking more in terms of how, you know, inevitably something new comes along and the ability to have uh, a mechanism that easily deals with those new codecs as they appear. It's yes. been a consistent issue for anybody trying to work in the video space online. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So there is still the, the Kodak's kind of thing. And, um, in, you know, we use, we use exactly the same code. It's tightened up a little bit, but it's exactly the same code from uh, Windows Media Player to do the actual video uh, decoding on the client. Uh, and so we, we have mechanisms in place to keep that up to date and, and at a fairly rapid pace. So, uh, Brad, you're here to talk about the big announcement and how it affects .NET developers. Yes. So I, I think what we're seeing now is the reach of .NET developers just got uh, a, a good bit broader. So up to this point, sure, you could write a client app with WPF or, or WinForms, or you could write a server app with ASP.NET or services with, with WCF. Um, and, and now what we're seeing is there's a new category of application 
that .NET developers can take full mastery of, and that's this rich Internet application uh, where you can you apps that run in browser uh, but can run on the Mac and Windows that can do much richer things but still have all the deployment characteristics of a browser-based app. You know, .NET Rocks would not even be possible today if it weren't for the great support of our first sponsor, Data Dynamics. And their product is the one that we really love, Active Reports for .NET. It's easy to use. It's powerful. You just create the reports. You put them right in your assemblies, and you ship them with your code. They have uh, HTML and PDF support. They've got an excellent access upsizing wizard so that you can get your access reports into Active Reports for .NET. Uh, works with Windows Forms. Works with ASP.NET. It's easy, and it just works. And best of all, it won't break the bank. And that's what we love about Data Dynamics. Data Dynamics has got a lot of other great tools, too. And you should check them out. Please check them out at datadynamics.com. It's compelling stuff. I mean, this is what we haven't had before, uh, you know, except in the form of, I guess, Flash. You know, Flash was really the only cross-platform rich browser option we had. Yep. Yep, and even it's funny. Even talking to many Adobe customers, what they what they say is, "We're super glad you're in the in the market now." Um, so, uh, it, you know, it, put a little pressure on Adobe to uh, yeah, everybody. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But but again, you know, we're really we're we're less focused on Adobe and more focused on what is it our existing customer base is trying to do. So, I think what one of the things that I'm most excited about is how we're enabling the millions of ASP.NET developers to just immediately feel comfortable with and start targeting this new platform. Um, they can take an, an existing app and video enable that app and, in, in, you know, drag and drop the video control, set its source to some WMV file, pick a skin from the 20 or 30 skins we ship by default with Visual Studio, yeah. and boom, they're, they're up and going. That's awesome. And, nice and I'm stuff. thinking yeah, also in terms of using expression across the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be huge for that. In fact, so uh, what one thing I do is uh, talk a little bit about the talk that I'm, uh, that I'm going to give it at Mix, which okay. is kind of about this, um, kind of our ASP.NET um, support. And um, we, yeah, I'm working with a designer right now because I'm not exactly the best designer on the, on the planet. And I'm using Visual Studio to write both, um, XAML code as well as ASP.NET code and some client-side JavaScript. And she's using expression. She's using expression web to create some CSS to style the page really nicely. And then we have several XAML elements on the page with a skin for the video player. Um, and I, there's some, some other kind of smaller XAML bits. And she's using um, blend, expression blend, to create the XAML for those. So and then we're kind of all sharing the same project file, and we're all checking in and checking out of, of, of that system. So it's really, we're sort of living the dream here on, on how this goes together. Awesome. So is your session actually about that interaction between the different team members to create the app or the actual cross-implementation? Well, it's actually about the, uh, say you, you were going to build a video-centric website. What are the principles that you'd have to think about to build a video-centric website? Um, and we go through things like making sure the site um, can do user uploaded content, and and how would you do that? 
we talk about uh, monetization opportunities. How would you, um, how might you monetize this thing through ad revenue? What are some options, some new options that are available because Silverlight exists on the client? What are some things you could do there? Um, what are the principles on making sure there's an immediate user response? So when I hit that play button on that video, while it's queuing up, what can I do to kind of show the user that something's immediately happening even while the video is still queuing up? Yeah, give me a little animation, something better than a slider bar or just a busy signal. Yeah, and I think, I think it's an interesting format because what, what we do in this talk is go through the, the we go through a set of, there's a set of principles that we've brainstormed. They're, they're just a starter set. I'm sure we'll have a deep conversation about that. But yeah. you go through a principle show an example of that principle on the web today, and then bring up the demo and go write the .NET code, either on the client side or the server side, that kind of brings that principle to life. So, Brad, tell us how Silverlight and Orcus work together. Oh, they, they, work, they work great together. So um, one of the things that uh, we've, one of the big features that I'm excited about with Orcus is the... Um, client-side JavaScript support we have there, and it works great for Silverlight as well as for traditional AJAX apps. So I get a full IntelliSense, I get the doc comments, I get um, very nice debugging support, I can step through uh, methods. Um, and then my favorite feature is it, we actually have type inferencing working, so JavaScript being a dynamic language. Um, you don't always know the type of the thing, but if Visual Studio can actually figure out the type based on the return data flow, the return type of a previous call, then it uses and it can give you IntelliSense even on something typed to, to be a var. Um, so I think that's that's a pretty cool thing. That is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point. I don't know if we've really clarified this. How much of the Silverlight library is available to the JavaScript programmer? Yeah, so ah. I, that that's that's one of the things I'm super excited about is that Almost the whole thing is available. Um, we've done this. We've done this piece of technology um, that is a bridge between JavaScript and .NET. So that means anything that, as a JavaScript developer, I can access any of the framework. Or let's say I don't know somebody were to go write a compression framework or something in managed code. As a JavaScript developer, I could access that. And I'm really thinking that. The guys who are serious about Ajax these days write an awful lot of JavaScript, and they're good at it. And they're probably going to want to keep doing that to some degree. Just because we have C-sharp and VB.net available doesn't mean we're automatically going to use it either. Right. 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 No, I totally buy that, uh, especially you know, kind of as we're getting started with Silverlight. There is tons of great Ajax libraries out there today. Uh, Prototype and Dojo, of course, I think ASP Ajax is, is a pretty good library in the Ajax Control Toolkit that we have. Um, and we want to make sure Silverlight developers can fully access those as well. So the bridge goes both ways. Right, so, of course. So, for example, if there's some uh, something implemented in Dojo, they do some effect or something that you really like and you want to be able to call that method, it, you, you absolutely can. And we marshal the types back and forth across, the, across this new interop boundary between managed and JavaScript. Uh, we actually serialize them as JSON um, uh, kind of with JSON serialization, this JSON, right? Um, and that uh, gives us some some very good fidelity between .NET and uh, and JavaScript. So you just shipped Orcus Beta One. That's a public beta. Yes, that's right. Yep. 
So anybody who wants to now get into what's going on inside of Oracus, it's not a private thing anymore. There's an ability for anyone to take a good look yep, at what Oracus yep. can do. And I guess probably the big when we talk about Oracus, the biggest feature of Oracus I think is probably Link. Um, uh, this language integrated query. I think you've had yeah. a show on Link. Oh yes. Or at least one, maybe. Is D-Link, the data extensions to Link, also included in Orcus, or is that another? No, that is included. That that yes, that is included in Orcus. Okay. So basically, the full Link story is included in Orcus. So. So pretty much, it's very close to a, a nice ORM system. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. So I, you know, I'm not. I don't claim to be an expert there, but. Um, yeah, nor I. And I don't. I don't want to go to Link because I know that's a whole other conversation. Orcus has these great new web features. I mean, the, yeah. the, the JavaScript IntelliSense yep. and the you know ability to work with Silverlight, like all of those things I find we haven't talked about enough in the, in the Orcus space, that there's some great web yeah. tools available to us now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, the other, the two more cool things about Link directly related to the web thing is uh, I found, you know, writing the demo that I, that I just did, I, I actually... Um, a couple of nights ago, I ported it from Whidbey to, to Orcus, make it work on Beta 1. Oh, and yeah. I rewrote whole chunks of code. I, there was one that we rewrote from being like 40 lines of gnarly ADO.net and um, XML code to one link query. <laughs> it, it was, I, you know, it was really amazing. I did, I basically do a join across an XML file and a uh, relational database in one link query. That's kind of exactly what Link is good for. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you so and this is code that could be running now on the browser, right? That, that was thank you. That was my second point. Is <laughs> now we actually have it, so Link can run on in the browser as well. Now we don't full disclosure. We don't have Link to SQL on the browser. I don't sure. know what it would mean to do a two tier app there, but we certainly have Link to objects in all the um, C sharp three O stuff and. Linked XML is probably, you know, my expectation is we'll get feedback that that's going to be needed as well. Um, but it, but you can do that same kind of rich data processing on the client. Brad, let me ask you, being a framework guy, um, the Orcus framework, were there any modifications, uh, fixes, enhancements, efficiencies, anything like that that are worth noting, you know, things that are faster or, or better that we already use? Yeah, um, let's see. There's a few that popped to mind. Um, so the DLR team actually did some interesting work. Um, uh, 64-bit uh, performance has gotten uh, very noticeably better. I don't want to quote cool. numbers because I might be wrong here, but it, it is definitely noticeably better. I have a 64-bit machine, so mm -hmm. um, I, I personally like that. Me too, um, yeah. I was specifically going to ask about, like, reflection, like if you know that if there were any uh... – any mod mods to stuff like that, some of the core things that we use all the time. One of the things that we thought about with the Orcus release is given that it comes so close on the heels to Vista, we wanted to make sure that we were adding value to, to Vista and not making people port apps. So yeah. The thing to, the, the way we think about the Orcus release is we're doing two things. One is we're doing a service pack to the .NET framework. Right. So .NET Framework uh, 2.0 and 3.0 get a service pack. And there's a few enhancements in the service pack, but really it's a service pack, so we don't want to break any apps. Right. Uh, so we, we do that service pack business, and then there's a few more things that we add on top of the service pack, and that's things like Link and this ASP AJAX work uh, and some of the some additional data access stuff. 
And that's what makes it 3-5. And that's what makes it 3-5, yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. So the the big news again is uh, Silverlight is uh, getting, uh, of course, the unmanaged stack we know and love, but is also getting a managed stack uh, sometime in the future. Yep, yep. And, and those bits are released at Mix, so you can go and play with that and um, get it. Yep. And uh, also, uh, you know, the big news about Orcus, of course, is Link and D-Link and all of those things. Boy, you must be a busy guy these days. Yeah, there's you know there's a there's a ton going on and I and I you know one interesting it feels like a change to me. It'd be interesting to hear what your listeners think. I, it feels like we are um, releasing lots of there's a lots of kind of product vectors that we're going down. Like we just said, we have this Orcus train, which is a super important one for us. But there's also this Silverlight train. We've talked about a one zero and a one one release. Um, and and then there's the expression stuff we're working on. Uh, there's some additional client stuff. So it, it, there's a lot of there's a broad spectrum of stuff going on. Well, and, and in keeping with the mixed thinking, it's a lot more platform agnostic than it was just a few years ago. Yeah, you're yeah. not always saying Microsoft and involving Windows with everything that you're doing. Right. Right. I, you know, and again, I think it's a getting focused on what are customers asking us for. You know, and that and that's what that's what helps us kind of come to the realization that if we're going to do something like Silverlight, coming out with something like Silverlight and have it work only on Windows XP and Vista, I think we don't feel like would be would meet the customer requirements for this in-browser kind of space. And and not just the in-browser kind of space, but the back end as well. Right. That's right. That's right. And and the back end. It's interesting. You know, on the back end. We're giving choices on the back end too. So, like with the Microsoft Ajax library, you can host that from your PHP server. Uh, and, and with Silverlight, you can host Silverlight content, WMVs or your XAML or whatever. You can prop that on your on your hoster that happens to be running PHP. It's perfectly fine. So, you know, providing customer, we feel like we feel like we have a, a, a compelling offering, and providing customers choices for how they uh, how they adopt that will maximize their benefit with it. So, uh, Brad, I've been reading your blog a little bit at uh, shrinkster.com slash OBO. Not zero, but OBO. And uh, some good stuff in there. I particularly like there was a Orcus Beta 1 success story, which you, uh, or some, I guess Steve Marks, I guess, um, yep. compressed uh, like an entire page of code into, you know, 10 lines or something like that using Link. Yeah, so Steve is helping with my with my demo. Um, he he gets to do this exact same talk on a some a remix tour, so he's motivated to help me. Um, and uh, I, I had written it on Wid. I, w- I was still on Widby, uh, and, and we had just made the decision to okay, let's port this thing over to Orcus. And you know how it goes. Yeah, we divided up the project, um, and but and right. he got the task of porting it to Orcus, and I had written that piece of code. Um, and, and, and basically the way it works is we have this database of, of video files, and each, each video file includes a XML file that contains the chapter points, what are kind of some interesting points within the file. And, and that, there's a link to that within the database. So what, what my code does is it uses ADO.net to, in a very classic kind of way, iterate through the records in the database, gets to the one uh, we're looking for, pulls out the XML file, and then 
uh, does some XML processing on that to pull out the actual data we need from there. So is the XML embedded in the video? The XML, uh, no, the XML file is an external file. Okay. It, it's what we call a media definition file. Okay. And it, it, we're getting into exactly what the, my demo does now, but uh, basically it's a, we, we have a product called uh, Expression Media Encoder that mm-hmm. you can, it, it, that you can give a video and you can set chapter points. So these are interesting points within the chapter and it sets up thumbnails. It says, okay, here's a thumbnail of it. It's at this point, you give it some, some textual description. Oh, that's cool. Right. And then, so I'm pro, so that, so part of that's encoded in the stream and part of it's in the, in the XML file. And so I needed the part that was in the XML file. So unfortunately I had to crack that. Um, so, so I did, I was doing both ADO.net code and XML processing. And then when Steve came and uh, his job was just to port it and make it work. And obviously my code would have worked on Orcus. Yeah. But Steve's going, okay, Brad, like, what did you write here? I think I can do better than that. <laughs> you, know, you know how that goes, right? So um, he goes and he starts playing with it. He goes, isn't this what link is good for? And he deletes everything I have and starts messing around with it. And he gets a link query down basically to a one-liner. I mean, there's a couple of lines there. Um, right. To, that that does that join between the uh, to the data in XML and and, and I think it's a cla- I blogged it because I think it's a classic example of where the power of link comes in to give you one language one kind of framework for accessing both objects relational and XML data. And the thing that jumps out at me too when I'm looking at the code that he cha- that he that he wrote you know his changes is that usually when programmers squeeze code down to like the, you know, single line or a few lines, it's entirely unreadable. Yeah, completely opaque. But this is not. I mean, yep. this is very, very lucid, very yep. easy to follow. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I, obviously, there's a little bit of coming up to speed on link that you have to do um, to be able to kind of deeply understand it. But certainly somebody who's who's mastered Orcus is going to find that easy to easy to parse and maintain yeah. and, and change over time. A couple more links we should point out. Uh, the the Silverlight site at MSDN Online is at shrinkster.com slash OAP. Of course, Brad's blog, uh, as I said before, at OBL. Great stuff, Brad. Thank you very much for yeah, being on the you. show. And Wow, you guys are doing fantastic work. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, and I can't wait to see some great Silverlight apps. Oh, there's going to be some. I, 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 well, I can't wait to see what you guys do with the with with uh, the Dinah Rock site and Silverlight. Seems like there's some good kind of. You just stuff wait, man. There. You just wait. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be fabulous. All right, great. Okay, thanks a lot, Brad. Okay, thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.
R-O-C-K-S dot com. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a